Amen. Who's excited to get into the book of Esther? I've been studying for the last few weeks and so excited uh, to spend some time here. And, and like Chris said, uh, most of the things I looked at and a couple outlines I looked at uh, really just paraphrased chapter 1 and jumped right into to chapter 2. Um, so, so don't be disappointed, but we're probably we're not going to mention Esther this morning quite yet. We're going to camp out in chapter 1 just for a minute. Um, for for one, one for today at least, and uh, and so the title of today's sermon is unrestrained appetites. Y'all have kids? Anybody have kids? Anybody have a kid? Have grandkids? So all of y'all fit into that category somewhere. Man, kids like to eat. Have you noticed? You got kids that are eating you out of house and home. You just go buy groceries and it la- doesn't last a week, or um, and, and you just can't figure out how to keep up. Uh, with, with kids, they eat so much. Harker, little boy, is four. Um, and it doesn't matter how much he eats for dinner or what he eats, his favorite food, as much of it as he wants. When we lay him down at 9 or 9.30 or 10, if we're not doing too well, as soon as he lays down, he says, I'm hungry. We're like, you just ate like an hour and a half ago. You ate like two cheese dips and a pollo bandito. And like, how can you be hungry is what I'm always thinking. And he says, how about a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? How about an egg sandwich? Like he just starts making this list like the kitchen is open at 9.30 and 10 o'clock at night. And usually we'll find him something to eat. I remember as a kid growing up, I liked to eat. It's, uh, I mean, I like it too much. Like I love to eat. And I can eat a lot. And I try not to. And it's really hard. When I was a kid growing up, we always had, we had enough. We were blessed and usually had extra. And I'd eat second helping, sometimes third Sometimes wait an hour, come back for fourths, you know, that's the way it was at our house. I went to a friend's house one time, and his mom made dinner, and she, she brought all the food in. Y'all, y'all have seen it served this way. They set the bowl of mashed potatoes in the middle of the table, set the plate of pork chops in the middle of the table, and everybody sits down with an empty plate. She set all that stuff on the table, and I thought, all right, there's mine. <laughs> and I realized that was for all of us at the table to share. And I remember the difficulty of thinking, all right, Jared, you can do this. <laughs> One serving of mashed potatoes, okay? One pork chop, okay? And there was one for each person, and it was, it was just, it was just not, it's hard to restrain your appetite. We had a, we had a parent this week at, at VBS said, my kid ate on the way to VBS. They ate at VBS. They ate on the way home from VBS and ate again when we got home from VBS. And then they vomited. <laughs> and he said, I was telling them the whole time along, I was like, you can't eat anymore. You can't eat anymore. And they just kept eating. And it resulted in, you know, nothing, something none of us like to do or enjoy. The reality this morning is that unrestrained appetites lead to undesired outcomes. Unrestrained appetites lead to undesired outcomes. Now, we're going to be looking at the, the story of Esther, and we're going to start in chapter 1 this morning, and, and we're, going to, we're going to think about these unrestrained appetites, but it's not just appetites for food, okay, that we all struggle with. Struggle with a lot of different things. Our life. It's a glimpse into the human condition, really. What we find in chapter 1 is that, that we have these appetites for power. Appetites for fame or recognition. 
appetites for, for, uh, for, for pleasure at all costs, appetite for sex or pornography. Or, uh, we, we have all these things that are part of the human condition. If you want to know more about those, you can go to Romans chapter 1 where Paul lays it out, the state of humanity and their obsession with their own personal selfish desires. 1 Peter 4, 2 says it like this to the Christian believers. It says, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. We're going to find in chapter 1 a king, King Xerxes, who has unrestrained appetites on three different things. And we're going to look at those three this morning. Peter says, this is not the call of the believer to live in to unrestrained appetites. King Xerxes is out of control. Uh, if, if you go, um, uh, we're going to read a majority of chapter 1 together, but to give you just a little bit of, of a setting to see, man, what's happening in, in his life as the king, he is, uh, this is the third year of his reign, I believe, and, and he's throwing this party, like a, a six-month party. And he's brought all the political leaders in, the military leaders in uh, of, the, of the Persian Empire. And, it, and, it's, and it, it, it's 127 provinces. It's from Ethiopia to India. This is like a majority of the known world this man is ruling. All right. And, and he's throwing this party, which would be, uh, to give you some context, it'd be like the president of the United States calls every governor, every military leader, every political leader, Congress, state legislatures and senators and representatives, they all go to D.C. for six months. And, and the reason he was doing this was really twofold. One, they were strategizing because he wanted more. They, they conquered, you know, more than half the world, but wanted more. I could preach on that for a little bit. Like, enough is never enough. But he wanted more, and he wanted to go conquer Greece and Europe and expand the kingdom. And so he bringing all the military leaders in. They're strategizing about that a little bit. If you go read the historical context around this, he's also putting on display all of his stuff, all of the power, all of the wealth, all these things, trying to get these people lined up and see, we can do this, we can do this. He's setting the stage to continue a battle and to expand the kingdom. So this is where we pick up in Esther 1, 4. The celebration... Wait, before we get into it, the three things we're going to talk about with King Xerxes today. Unrestrained appetites. One is wealth, possessions, money. Uh, the second one is, is drunkenness. And the third one is vengeance. That he just absolutely loses it on all three of those things. Esther 1, chapter 4. The celebration lasted 180 days, a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people from the greatest to the least who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars, gold and silver. Is this your all's house? <laughs> Sound like your place? You got gold and silver couches hanging around? Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. 
this is it, this is the party, and, and we see the first thing that is unrestrained, that he's just got so much of it, he doesn't know what to do, and he's setting it out as wealth, possessions, and money. And even though he's got all this, he has a hunger for more. He's got a hunger for more. And it's really given him, it, it, if we're going to talk about undesired outcomes that come from unrestrained appetites, it's really led to a level of arrogance and false security and a, a, an idea of false significance for King Xerxes. He thinks if he can set all these things th that he can never lose, that he has the security of his possessions, and that is all that he needs. The New Testament teaches a lot about this. Jesus teaches a lot about this. Matthew 6, 19, he says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. First Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy says it like this, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Uh, listen, money in and of itself is not bad. It's something we all use. You've got to have it to eat. You've got to do things. Here we find that it's the love of evil. It's the, uh, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. That's the desire that if we think if we just had a little more, we'd be more secure and everything would be okay. It is when we become a slave to money or to debt or to things just to have stuff we don't really need and that we, we really are, are, are worshiping money above God. It becomes an idol, and it's really easy for that to happen. That is our culture. Like the community that you live, the, the car that you drive, the things that you have, the, the, the jobs and the position and all this stuff, it, it, it is a driving force and it can become unrestrained. You've met people who will do anything for a dollar. Lie, cheat, steal, it doesn't matter. He warns against this uh, over and over. This week I was talking to uh, my friend Lee, and we were talking about um, our other friend, Forrest Coleman, who's planning a church in, in Frankfurt called Multiply Church, and they've been meeting in a movie theater for over a year now, I think, and they're getting ready to, uh, they've signed a lease on an old Save-A-Lot building. It's about 13,000 square feet, and they're getting ready to remodel it. And the space right beside it came open. It's about 5,000 square feet. And, and Forrest was like, man, that, if we had that, we could do our, all our kids' ministry over there, and we'd have everything we need. And I was talking to Lee, and he said this, and it just stuck with me. I don't know if it's exactly like this, but this was the thought. The last thing you want is everything you need. The last thing you want is everything you need. What he meant is if force gets that space and they have everything they need, then you think you're secure. That you think you got, that, that I'm, I got a 401k, I got a nice house, I got a car that'll go forever. All of a sudden you think you've got everything you need and you've forgotten the very thing and really the only thing that we need. And that is a spiritual relationship 
with Jesus Christ and our one and only provider. So maybe it's not a bad exercise to come up short, and some of you may have more than you need, and some of you think, I don't have enough. I'm, I'm telling you there's a blessing in both places, okay, to turn your heart toward Christ. So what's the, how, how do we guard against this? Paul says in Acts 20, 35, And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The practice of giving is the very practical thing that God gave us to help address and guard against becoming obsessed with money and wealth and possession. Is this a sermon that's, you know, you're going to give to the church? You need to give to the church. You need to give. That's not this today. I, I know that's God's commandment and direction that we give our tithes and our offering. What I, what I want to say is I care so deeply about you that the, the best thing that you can do to help guard against wealth becoming an unrestrained appetite in your life is just to give some away. Give it to your neighbor who needs it. Give it to a coworker who needs it. Give some, give some to the local charity, the food bank, the, the thrift store. Give it to your church. It's just... It's a practice to help you guard against unrestrained uh, appetite for wealth and money. Paul says it here in Acts. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, see, the second appetite he has here is drunkenness. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs, and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking, for the king had instructed all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. On the seventh day of the feast, then King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine. I say he was. He told the seven eunuchs who attended him, I'm not going to try to read those names, to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. So here's what's going on. He's got all the wealth in the world. He's thinking, I'm going to bring these people together. I'm so arrogant. I have so much. I have so much pride because I have so many things. I'm the influencer. I'm in control. I have the power. I'm bringing all these leaders together, and we're going to go do what I say, and they're going to know I got this money. During that six-month party, they're drinking, and they're having their things, but then this last week, he invites everybody in the capital city. It's not just the political leaders, and it is what I call a kegger. It is unleashed as much of the best. You cannot find the end. The bottom of the barrel does not exist, and everybody drinking into oblivion. That's where we're at. That sounds like college. For some of you been there or getting ready to go there. And it's unleashed, unhinged. In the middle of this, he has this wonderful idea, which you always have when you're drunk. Wonderful ideas, right? Things that never embarrass you. Things that never come back to haunt you. Things that you'd rather nobody ever know about. But he says, I know what I could do. I want to get my wife out here and let all these drunk guys look at her. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that as a husband. 
to be so out of my mind, so wrapped up in pride, so, so, so unrestrained with all the ungodly things that are that around me, that, that I don't even have enough respect for my, for my wife and my spouse, that I would, I would want to bring her out in front of these guys and let them look at her. And you all know what this is. This is not like, look at my wife, ain't she pretty? This is very inappropriate. This is, this is, this is steeped in sexual things, in lust, in, in drunkenness. I mean, it's just an awful, uh, an awful event that is happening here. And, and he invites her out. So let's talk about alcohol for a minute. You can't really read through this and not talk about it. Does the alcohol directly prohibit taking, does the Bible directly prohibit taking a drink of alcohol? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Maybe you've been taught something else your whole life. Maybe you, you've thought that was the truth. And, and I would encourage you to go study the Bible. If you find that in there, I've looked hard for it. My heart, who's had family members who are alcoholic, I think, God, you got this one wrong, man. Nobody should be able to drink that. <laughs> That's not what the Bible says. Does it warn about the dangers of alcohol? Absolutely. Proverbs 21, wine produces mockers, alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. Does the Bible prohibit drunkenness? Absolutely. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everyone to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this can start a fierce debate. I abstain from alcohol. I encourage everybody I know to abstain from it, just because it, it's the wisest thing from from my perspective, uh, I have drank alcohol before. I choose not to drink alcohol. Um, one of the things that I think we have to see in this is that we, we've all seen the risk of it. We've seen people who are able to take a drink and quit, and we've seen people who can take one drink and never be able to lay it down. And it destroyed marriages. It destroyed. I've seen children abused because of it. We've seen accidents because of it. We've seen marriages destroyed. We've seen all the things. We've seen people lay on their, their deathbed because of what it's done to their liver. Like We know all the stuff, the dangers of it, and the Bible is clear about that. But what, what, here, here's where I want us to get to. I want us to, to remove ourselves from this list of rules and right and wrong and the, the, the tendency for us to so quickly judge other people. And I want us to take a really hard inventory of our own lives and, and say, man, some people, uh, some people are, are addicted to alcohol. Like it's, it's starting to affect their lives. It's breaking relationships. They can't work. They can't get to school. Like it's a, it's a real problem in their lives, and that's a place... We want to step in and we want to help because we love and we care. All of us are addicted to something. Addicted to your phones. I'm addicted to coffee. Some of you are addicted to Diet Coke. Man, I hear so many people this week, if I just had a Diet Coke, I could get through VBS. <laughs> if I just had a Diet Coke. 
So, so, you say, so you say, is drinking alcohol a sin? Well, no, not in and of itself. Can it be a sin? Yes, if you say, I, if I don't have alcohol, I can't live. Then it's a sin. If, if you, just the same, if you say, if I don't get a pollo bandito today, I can't live. I can't go into Monday without some Mexican. Like, whatever these things are, I want you to understand that Christ cares about our heart. And he cares about your heart. And so one of the things I will ask is if, if you grew up thinking, man, you cannot be a Christian and have a drink of alcohol, I want you to just, just grasp for the minute and say, I'm not going to break fellowship with someone who is able to do that in moderation and think, well, they're not a Christian, they drink a beer. I saw it in their Facebook picture. <laughs> Sitting on the counter behind it, and I thought they were a good person, and there that was. You don't know the person. You don't know the story. I want you to care deeply about people. I want us to refrain from as much judgment against one another as we can. My warning to you is this. Is an unrestrained appetite for alcohol leads to disaster. It leads to disaster. It leads to embarrassment. We find this with him here. He says, go get my, my queen Vashti, bring her out here. Put her crown on her, let her show off. And she says, no. <laughs> Anybody here would have said no? Any wives would have been like, nope, I'm out. You don't have to banish me, I'm leaving. <laughs> she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. He immediately consulted with his wise advisors. Another thing, like when you're full of emotion, it's not a great time to make an immediate decision. <laughs> like when you're angry, because we see the third part of this here is unrestrained appetite, that he gets so angry because of his pride, because of all the wealth that he had, because he's just drank himself into oblivion, and now she, he's embarrassed in front of all his buddies, and so he's mad and he's angry, so he brings his, immediately brings his advisors together, and who knew all the Persian laws, and he asked for their advice. And they say, so if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree. Because in between there, there's some verses I left out where they basically say, word gets out, man, men all over this empire are going to lose control of their wives. They're going to take over the households. He said, we got to do something. <laughs> I'm just going to keep reading the verse. So if it please the king... We suggest that you issue a written decree. A law of the Pharisees and Medes cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes. And that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. They say, we just need to put out a decree. You need to banish her from your presence. They thought that makes good sense. I mean, they were drunk, mad, and had everything else they needed in life, and that makes sense. Let's do that. Let's get rid of my wife. And so he followed Mimikan's counsel. He bans her from his presence. This is a real story. This is a historical story. This isn't a parable. It isn't a myth. This is literally what the king did. Proverbs 14, 29 says, People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Ephesians chapter 4 says, get, a, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Talks about anger. 
Here's what I need you to understand, that this sermon is not about wealth, and it's not about drunkenness or alcohol, and it's not just about anger and vengeance. It's about unrestrained appetites. It's about the reality that unrestrained appetites lead to undesired outcomes. Because I think when you get to chapter 2 and verse 1, you, if you just read this, you're like, all right, chapter 2, verse 1. This is four years later from chapter 1, okay? King Xerxes goes forward, he, he banishes uh, Vashti, and then he attacks Greece and Europe and loses miserably. This led to his downfall. And, and he comes to chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done, and the decree he had made. I can hear in that verse things that we have all experienced, a thing called regret. A thing called shame. A thing called guilt. As I, th as, as I thought about that, I, I know that the Bible says there's joy in sin for a season. But we know that it comes to an end. You see, if you don't get what, I, what I'm trying to share with you today, you're going to be full of everything else and no room for God, and you're going to be full of stuff but empty spiritually. You're, you're also going to be, be tempted to, to get stuck in a religion that is just about this list of things and what to do and what not to do. A religion that leads to burnout, that leads to frustration, that leads to feeling like you can't be good enough and that, man, God couldn't really love me and I, I struggle with these things. It's going to lead to that. It, it, it's also going to lead to a critical, judgmental spirit of other people and, and other things. And, and so we, we, we have to get a hold of it. But here's, here's what, I, what you have to know is you cannot restrain your appetite alone can't get a hold of the things you struggle with by yourself. This is the very reason that you had a heavenly father who looked down from above on, a, on, a, on mankind that he saw they can, they, they chose, the, the Adam chose to sin and mankind fell into a sinful state. And even when he gave us the law, the law wasn't given to us so that we could try to work it and be right and see good enough to get into heaven. It was given to us so we could see we need a Savior. I cannot restrain this selfish, fleshly appetite in my heart by myself. I cannot do it on my own. My message this morning is not for you to control your appetite. That's part of it. There's wisdom in all these things. My message is for you to give it to Jesus. To give that appetite to Jesus. Not just turn from your sin and toward righteousness, but to turn from your sin toward Jesus. A man who loved you enough and came and died for you, knowing because he had to rescue you, couldn't do it yourself. I couldn't do it myself. And he knew we could never get into heaven if it was by works alone. And he came and died for you and me. How does God control our appetites? Two ways. One is through the Holy Spirit. When we become a new creation and a new believer, God takes residence in our lives, in our hearts. We are in Christ and he is in us and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And that fueled by the, the word of God and prayer and scripture begins to do a thing called sanctification. It begins to change your life 
from the, the old person that you were into the new creation that he's making you to be. The second way he does it is through community, a community called the church, other believers, other people you can say, I thought I was just drinking alcohol because it was fun, and I realized I can't stop. You need somebody you can say that to. That can be like, oh, man, I love you. Let me pray for you in that. I'm going to be with you. Let's walk in this together. You have to have community, and he give us that, gives us that community in the church to hold us accountable, to confess our sins to one another. Here's what I'm saying. Don't go it alone. <laughs> Do not try to go it alone. I want to take this just a moment before I close here to, to remind you of Celebrate Recovery that we here have here at the church. This is for any of these things I've talked about today, whether, whether it's wealth, whether you've realized you've, you have maxed out every credit card, and if you sold everything you own, you wouldn't pay it off. This is for you if you're struggling with alcohol, you just can't put it down, it's beginning to affect relationships. If it's drugs, if it's, if it's pornography, if you just can't get on your computer without going to the wrong places. All these things, this is the place that you can come find on Monday night's community that care for you, that help you. And the first Monday in August, Celebrate Recovery is starting the, from lesson one. We've gone through six months, gone through every lesson. We've had baptisms. We've had spiritual transformations, life transformations, incredible things happening on Monday night. And every person is invited to be there and a part of it. I want to get the worship team to come on up. And I just want to say this. In closing, th th this, this sinful condition, glimpse into the human condition, unrestrained appetites lead to the most undesired outcome, absent Jesus in your life, and that is eternal separation from God. That our, our sinful condition, our, our rebellion against God, and if you read Romans 1, he says, even those... Who, who have not heard the gospel will become accountable of accepting Jesus because I've revealed myself to them through creation itself. They can look at the sun coming up every day and know that there is a God. And yet they rejected me and they chose their own desires. And so that, that, that's the ultimate outcome of, of a sinful condition is that there's a real hell and there's a real heaven. And the absent accepting the gospel into our life we face that undesired outcome. M made a new friend this week, a guy named Jack. I was over at the parts store and I, the mission team had been there working and I went to see what they cleaned out the next day and we got a dumpster sitting out front. Uh, he pulls up parks and gets out and is looking in the dumpster um, you know for whatever we can find you know if, if you see a place being gutted you probably like to look through the dumpster too and grab an old sign or whatever and so he was looking through it see what i could find and i saw him and we started talking and and uh and he said uh, he asked about the building i said well it's part of our church we're working on a ministry over here i don't know exactly what god's doing we're just taking step by step we know it needs cleaned out we know we need to work on it we're doing that with teams and so i just came to see how it was coming along he walked in there with me and, and he said 
uh, he said, oh, I go to church, and he told me the church he'd gone to his whole life. He's probably in his 60s or 70s. Uh, he said, I was a deacon for a long time. And, and he said something to me that broke my heart. He said, I'm just trying to do good enough to make it to heaven. I'm just trying. I and mean, I don't know what came over me, and I was like, man, you don't have to try. You don't have to try to do good enough to, come, to get to heaven. That is why Jesus came. Because you cannot do good enough to get to heaven. This morning, if you're a believer, this is a reminder you have been saved. Don't live in constant uncertainty and worry. Am I, am I going to... Uh, don't wait to your deathbed to find out if you are a believer. You can know right now God saved you by His grace. If you're an unbeliever... And this is, this is what I said to Jack. He said, you can't do good enough. The good has already been done. The good has already been done. And when you put your life in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in him, and you repent for your sinful ways, and you put all your trust in Jesus for eternity, your life, is never the same, and you become in Christ, and Jesus, God looks down like, God shared, it's white as snow. He sees the life of Jesus on me. And when I die someday, I'll just plead the blood. <laughs> it's my only hope. I, if, if I got to do good enough to get there, Jared won't be there. Okay? Don't get to your 60s and 70s and still be thinking, I just got to do one more thing. I messed up today, so now God's mad at me. It's His grace that carries us into eternity. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the gospel, the good news. The good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The good news that, that death that we could never conquer, that we were under the penalty of the, 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 and Romans says the wages of sin are death and that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God and still yet you look down on us as hopeless and gave us hope God as we sing this last song we invite people to the altar whatever position whatever state they're in in life to just connect with you to reconnect with you to connect with you God we thank you for the hope that we find in Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.